Well, good morning, Cornerstone. So glad you're all with us today. Good, beautiful day. Couldn't be asked for a better day than what's out there. So just a few minutes and we can all go hang out out there. It'd be great. Hey, before we, we start, I just want to stop and say thank you uh, to everyone for just making this last three or four months, this transition that we've been in, uh, just a joyous one. Uh, it has been uh, just an incredible privilege for me to work with Pastor Tony, with the staff, with the elders, uh, just the leadership here at the church. And you guys have done an, an amazing job making this transition feel pretty seamless, to be honest. Uh, we actually, Saturday went down, or was it Friday? I forget. The days all kind of blur together. We loaded up Pastor Tony's moving truck. He was taking all his furniture from the Carson house to their new rental in Great Eagle. And then he's heading out Thursday on a little road trip to uh, Colorado and Idaho to see all his kids. So uh, bittersweet, you know, have to keep saying goodbye to that guy. But we'll see him again. We'll see him again. And again, uh, it's just been a joy uh, working with all you guys and get to know you. Uh, and again, I want to say, uh, I know some of you might still be not so sure about this guy. And that's fair. It's fair. Change is scary, right? Take some time. But I just want you to know uh, I, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to pray for you, uh, to get to know you, to, to, to point you to Jesus every chance I get. Uh, and so if you're, if you're uncertain about me, that's okay. But let's spend some time together. Uh, this is the family of God. I want us to, to treat each other like brothers and sisters. And so uh, you can invite me over. I'll invite you over. Come find me after church. And uh, I'll be out in the lobby or the out front because it's nice. And we can set something up to hang out. It'll be great. Deal? Now, you, you agreed, which means you have to actually do it now. So all you that are like on the fence going like, no way, I'm not doing that. I'm not hanging out with that guy. I'm just a regular guy. I promise. Yeah, we'll see. Well, this morning we are beginning a seven-week series through the book of Titus, and I'm, I'm really excited about this beautiful letter uh, that Paul wrote to one of his dearest traveling companions. Uh, so as you open up your Bibles, and if you need a Bible, please put up your hand. We have ushers that would love to bring you a copy. Uh, if you don't own a copy of God's Word, please keep that. We need to have our Bibles. You need to hold it. Open it, it's good for you. I know you can tap your Bibles now on your phone, that's fine. But there's something about the holding it, I don't know, it's just better. So bring your Bible to church, it's my plug. And if you don't have a Bible, then we're giving you one. And bring that Bible to church. You can write your name and it'll be great. So this short letter is filled with just encouragement, wisdom, and it reminds us of our daily need for the gospel. To hear the good news of what Jesus did for us. Did you know you need to hear that every single day? That's not something you should forget. This is why we come to the Lord's table every week here at Cornerstone. Because it's something we need to remind our hearts and our minds. That, that what Jesus did is for us all the time. And throughout this series, we're going to learn what the Bible has to say about church leadership. About discipleship. And about sound doctrine and devotion to the Lord. We're going to see how we are called to live as Christians. How to deal with false teaching, teaching and divisiveness. And the importance of fluency in God's word. 
Now this letter, along with both 1st and 2nd Timothy, are known as, as the pastoral epistles. Because they were all written to pastors. They were the last letters that Paul wrote before his death. Sometime roughly between 62 and 67 AD. That's our best guess. We know that Paul wrote Titus around the same time that he wrote 1 Timothy. There's a lot of similar themes there. And he wrote it after he had been released from house arrest. You know, he, got, he got put in house arrest, but then he was pardoned by Caesar and sent on his way. And so he wrote it around this time. And his intention around this time was to go to Spain and bring the gospel about as far west as the known world was at that time. But before he left for Spain or desired to leave for Spain, he, th he thought, I need to go and check in on the pastors of these churches that we planted. Namely, Timothy, who was in Ephesus, pastoring a church there. And Titus, who was on the island of Crete at a church they plant there. Now, Paul and Titus go to Crete. They realize there's no... No church there. There's a huge need for the gospel. And so he leaves, Paul leaves Titus there to plant this church and to pastor it. The first time we meet Titus is in the book of Galatians. When the Jerusalem apostles have this debate about whether or not he should be circumcised as a new convert. He was a Gentile. So they had this discussion about whether or not he had to be circumcised in the old covenant or not. And they decided he didn't. Now, we also know that Titus was gifted at dealing with uh, difficult circumstances. He was the guy who carried the letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And if you don't know, the Corinthian church was a mess. All sorts of issues there. Paul wrote probably three letters to the Corinthian church. And Titus was the guy who delivered those to that church and got to tell the elders, hey, Paul has some corrections for you. <laughs> that would not be a fun job. Now, at the time that, Paul, uh, that Titus received his letter, this letter from Paul, he was pastoring this church on the island of Crete, uh, which was still in its infancy. It had just been planted maybe a few years before. And, and in fact, we, we know that Titus was actually in the process of selecting and appointing elders to this church. So at the time, he was the guy leading the church. And Paul encourages him, and we'll deal with elders and all that next week. Now we're told in Titus 1.5 that Titus was left behind in Crete so that he could put what remained into order. Right? It didn't have a structure. The church was just kind of floundering, as it were, just kind of getting going. And so Titus's job was to get everything kind of lined out and put into order. Now not surprisingly, so we see this all throughout the New Testament, there were some who were attempting to take advantage of the grace of God that they had in this new faith. And they used that as a license to sin, right? So he's going to correct that. And there were others, of course, who were trying to earn their salvation with good works. This was also a common theme. And so Paul is going to correct both of these issues in this letter as well. And he writes this letter to instruct Titus and all the believers in Crete on exactly what needed to be done to carry on faithful gospel ministry in the local church. What does faithful gospel ministry look like in the local church? Paul's going to deal with this throughout this letter. 
Now, Paul is writing this letter directly to the pastor of the church, but it is actually written to all believers. Because it's a letter of instruction on Christian living, on conduct, how right belief and doctrines bring us to this intersection of our faith. Where right thinking leads us to holy living and good deeds. Now this is going to be the main theme of our entire series. How right doctrine, the right way of thinking and interpreting and understanding scripture is the only thing that can lead you to right Christian living. They're, they're, they're joined exclusively. Right doctrine and devotion to God. They must go hand in hand. So as we jump into this incredible letter, let me just open us with a word of prayer and thank the Lord for his beautiful word. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. First and foremost for your faithfulness to us. That you have not left us to our own devices to figure out this faith on our own. You have given us the gift of your word. Lord, help us to cherish it. Help us to put our hope and our trust in what it says. And help us not to just be hearers but doers of what this book shows us. So instruct our hearts and our minds. Soften it, Holy Spirit. Soften our hearts and minds so that we would be more like Jesus. We ask this all in Christ's precious name. Amen. Now when I say the word doctrine, what word do you think of? Come on. Strict rules. Somebody back here, what, you said it correctly. Doctor. Doctrine. Doctor. Hey, good job. You get a cookie. Find me after. You should think of the word doctor. And if you don't know this, doctor literally means teacher. Did you know that? I didn't know that either. But it does. It actually comes from this Latin word doctrina, which means that which is taught. So apparently if you get your doctorate, you are capable now of teaching. And I don't know if that's, you know, the only people, but, you know, that's what it means. In Christianity, doctrine is not a set of rules. It refers to that which is taught about scripture, God, man, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, salvation, the church, and so on. How do we know what we believe about all those things? What scripture teaches us? Doctrine. So it's a vital part of every one of our Christian lives. You can't actually call yourself a Christian and say you don't hold to doctrine. Uh, that's illogical. Because if you hold to anything, you hold doctrine. Now, we have right doctrine and wrong doctrine. We'll deal with that later. But this is what we are taught about our faith. And this is what Apostle Paul says in the introduction of his letter. We're going to look at Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Read this with me. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect... And there are knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, 
my true child in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. That's quite an introduction. It's a lot better than just saying, you know, good morning. Good to hear from you. Now I want us to look at these four verses because Paul is concerned about encouraging us believers in three specific areas. First, we see that he's called to encourage them in their faith. Verse 1 tells us that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of those chosen by God. He wants to see believers strengthen their trust and their belief in his promises to grow in their faith in Christ because of the word that he has given us. Now in the second half of verse 1, Paul says that he's an apostle who serves God for the sake of a believer's knowledge of the truth. Knowledge of the truth, that's an incredibly important phrase. Because Paul is telling you why truth, why, why theology, which literally means the study of God. Why doctrine, why biblical teaching is so important. It, it's not just that we, we take in what we hear on Sunday morning and that's all we need. Paul is saying it's essential for us to study who God is and what he said to us in his word. Because the truth, Paul says, is according to godliness. So you want to live a godly not a life? You want to live a Christ-like life? What you need is truth. God's truth is given us in order to grow godliness within us. We can't be more like Jesus unless we know what the truth says. The truth is given so that we more consistently bear the image of God as we live and witness in this world. This is why being a student of the Bible is so important. John Calvin wrote this. He said, in order that true religion may shine upon us, we ought to hold that it must take its beginning from heavenly doctrine. And that no one can get even the slightest taste of right and sound doctrine unless he be a pupil of Scripture. Where does sound doctrine come from? Only the Word. So the study of God's Word is the place where we find right and sound doctrine, the truth that points us to a place of godly living, to devotion. Now we find devotion there in the phrase, uh, that which accords with godliness. Faith and knowledge go hand in hand. With godliness, they cannot be separated. You see, doctrine is meant to help us both in the areas of devotion and experience or duty and practice, the way you live out your Christian life. Biblical doctrine, rich, sound biblical truth is meant to help us properly interpret the experience of our Christian life. Now, this is a dangerous area, church, because often what we do is we have an experience and then we look to scripture to try and figure it out. And it's backwards. We should never let our experiences interpret God's word. And there is a lot of bad theology out there because of that very thing. The, the word of God should interpret our experience. 
what we believe, the things that have happened to us, the, what we understand about who God is and how he works should be filtered always and only through the precious word of God. We must always interpret our experience by scripture and doctrine helps us do that well. It's also designed to push us to service to love and good deeds, to motivate us to practice our faith. So theology is important, not just for a healthy Christian experience, but, but for living out that life day in and day out. This is what the apostle Paul is saying when he says that the truth is unto godliness. And if you look at the beginning of verse 2, Paul says this. He says he serves in hope of eternal life. Paul's not only concerned about building you up in the faith, building up the truth that you stand upon, he's also concerned about giving you hope. Real hope in the midst of this dark and fallen world that we live in. God has promised us eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but that is the one truth for me that I just don't think about all the time. It's like the one I take for granted. I know it's coming. And it's, it's such a beautiful truth. And yet I find, I confess, I find that I think about it rarely. What happens after all this? Eternity. I mean, the bulk of our life is going to be spent in eternity with God. Right? That's the bulk of our Christian life. And yet we, we fixate on these little 60 to 80 years we get, whatever it is. And we think, oh, we're going to make such a big deal about this. But really what we should be concerned about is that. And, it, you know, if you spend some time just dwelling on that, it should give you hope. Because the promises of God are true that he has made his dwelling among us. And there will come a day where he will be our God and we will be his people. And he will dwell with us forever. And I tell you, I don't know what that day looks like, but man, everything scripture says about it sounds fantastic. See, Paul knows that it's in that promise that all Christians must put their hope and trust. The promise of eternal life. But that glorious day has not yet come to fruition, right? It is the hope that both is and also is to come. It's yet to come unless, and unless our hope is in that truth, and unless our hope in that truth is strong, we will, we will struggle to live a life of godliness because we'll put our hope in something else. See, the motivation for us to live a holy life is this hope of life eternal. Paul tells Titus, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. He reminds Titus that our God is a God who could never lie. He's incapable. And the hope of eternal life is something he has given us long ago. And it's that hope that our entire faith should rest upon. Now let's look at verse 3. I want to I look at what Paul says his ministry is aimed at. 
Verse 3 says, and at the proper time, manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Paul's ministry is aimed at saving faith through the preaching of God's word. Now, Paul also makes it clear that his preaching is not the source of his hearer's faith. None of you are saved because I'm preaching the word of God. What is the source of our faith? He says it right there, God our Savior. Now how does he make that clear? Back in verse 1, Paul says that God has called us the chosen of God. God's choice of them is at the root of their response to God in faith. But Paul's purpose in his ministry is to teach and to preach and disciple believers so that the chosen of God will live out that faith. So that they will live a life of devotion to him. This is what preaching is for. To spur you on to live a life that honors Christ. To remind you of the calling that you've been given to him in Christ Jesus. And Paul longs for these believers to respond to this free and gracious offer of the gospel by believing, trusting, and having faith in God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the first goal of Paul's ministry. The first reminder he gives to Titus as he begins this church ministry in Crete. That every ministry should be to draw people to respond to the free gospel of Jesus Christ. And to live holy lives because of that beautiful gift. When Paul says that he's an apostle for the knowledge of the truth that is according to godliness. He's saying that his ministry is aimed at producing a sanctifying knowledge in the people of God. Now the church doesn't exist just to give you information. Right? I'm not here to give you a TED talk or to just give you the latest news, world news. You can get that all sorts of places. The point of the gospel is to give people a truth that transforms their lives. A truth that leads you to both godliness and devotion. Now this is not the last time in this book that Paul is going to deal with these issues. He's going to come at them again and again because it's the primary theme of this letter. Doctrine and devotion. Right thinking and right living. And so Paul reminds Titus that you cannot live the Christian life if you do not know the truth of God's word. Church, you cannot live the Christian life if you do not know the truth of God's word. You also cannot depend upon someone to spoon feed it to you your entire life. Which means, if you've never had the opportunity to just sit down and open God's word on your own, today's the day. Go home, flip open your Bible, and start reading. That's as hard as it gets. And see what the Lord says to you. See how he transforms your heart and your mind by his precious word. Paul's reference to salvation being manifested at the proper time, that's that's an interesting phrase. It's there in verse 3. It shows us how the work of Jesus forms the very center of human history. Right? Even, Even our calendar is based upon this one moment in time. Christ Jesus died for us. It's the center of history. 
And that word there in the Greek is kairos. It's the word for time. But it's not used to just signify the passing of time. It is only used to signify great moments of significance. And I don't know about you, but I can't think of a greater moment in history than Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. Paul tells Titus that the gospel arrived at the proper kairos, the proper time, at the perfect time that God had appointed for its arrival. My kids would ask, you know, could Jesus have come at any other time? The answer is no. He came at the exact moment appointed by the Father. Galatians 4.4 actually tells us this. Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, that exact moment, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Jesus Christ came at the exact moment in history that he needed to. And now we get the privilege of looking back to the cross as the center point in history. Much the same way that the old covenant saints looked forward to their coming Messiah. God promised us long ago that by faith in Christ we would be declared righteous by God, adopted as sons and daughters. And scripture tells us of that Messiah who would come to bring mankind redemption, hope, and eternal life. And I love the tone of verse 3. It's as if Paul could hardly conceal his praise and thanksgiving for this incredible privilege of preaching who, the truth of who Jesus Christ was and what he came to do. Paul was entrusted to preach the precious gospel of grace. And he said it was commanded to him by Christ. And it's like it was the greatest command he's ever received. And one last thing. Let's look at verse 4 together. Because Paul concludes his greeting with this word of blessing to Titus. And he uses these really sweet and tender words to his brother. This faithful church planter and minister of the gospel. He says... To Titus, my true child in a common faith. And then he pronounces this blessing. He says, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Now think about being Titus in this moment. Right? In about eight verses, Paul is going to, to remind us who Titus is ministering to. And do you know what the Cretans were known for? There's a reason we call them Cretans. They had a reputation for being lazy, gluttonous liars. Real classy folks. <laughs> Paul tells them, hey, Titus, you're going to go plant a church for these folks. Would have been easy for Titus to look at those slothful, fat deceivers and just turn the other way. This is what Job did, right? <laughs> or Jonah, excuse me, Jonah. He could have sat there and looked at those people on the island of Crete and said, no way I'm going to plant a church for those people. Would have been easy to look at the culture, at his circumstances, at the difficulty of the ministry lying ahead of him. And he could have just said, pass. Lazy, gluttonous liars. I'll go an easier route. But 
Paul reminds Titus that his encouragement in ministry, his success in ministry comes only from the grace and peace of God. God's grace to us, his unmerited favor, comes to us at the very beginning of our Christian journey, right? The moment you're saved, the Lord gives you his grace and his peace. We don't create grace. We don't speak it into reality. We don't even get, get to receive it by sincerely believing. The Christian life starts because God's unmerited favor reached out to you first. He offers it freely. No strings attached. And we have the, the opportunity to simply respond. And until God's grace is there, present in your life, the Christian life has not begun for you. Jerry Bridges writes this. He says, the Bible is full of God's promises to provide for us spiritually and materially, to never forsake us, to give us peace in times of difficult circumstances, to cause all circumstances to work together for our good, and finally to bring us safely home to glory. Not one of those promises is dependent upon our performance. They are all dependent upon the grace of God given to us through Jesus Christ. Not one of those promises is dependent upon who you are or what you've done. They are the free gift of God because he loves you. Amen. Thank goodness. Now the Christian life begins with the peace of God. Because when God's unmerited favor comes to us in Jesus Christ, the judgment that was ours for our sin is dealt with. And our peace with him, with our heavenly father is established. So that for the first time in our lives we have the incredible gift of fellowship and communion with our God. Christian life begins with grace and peace. And on the day you go to glory, it will end with grace and peace. But God's grace and peace also gets us through the in-between. It's given to us at the beginning. We receive it at the end. And it also supplies the encouragement we need to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. The grace and peace of Jesus is with us from the day we're saved till the day we go to be with him in glory. And it's never absent a day in between. And as Christians, we, we, we should desire to experience that unmerited and undeserved favor that the Lord offers us. And the peace that we have as his children that flows from that right relationship. This is not just a peace that brings an end to God's judgment against us. It is a peace that offers to us all the blessings of being a child of God. And Paul is pronouncing this blessing on Titus. You are God's beloved. His grace and his peace is yours. Because you are God's precious child, the redeemed of the Lord. Church, I would encourage you to Reflect on that truth as you leave this place. That the grace and peace of your God go with you. That they, they are there for you so you don't drag yourself along in the mire of your sin and, and guilt and shame. 
You've been set free. And like Titus, you are a precious child of God, redeemed of the Lord. Now we're calling this series, this is kind of just our intro into the book of Titus. And we're calling this whole series, this next seven weeks, Doctrine and Devotion. Because doctrine is meant to help us both in the areas of devotion or experience and duty or practice. Biblical doctrine, rich biblical truth is there to help us understand this Christian life and how we are to live. Paul's focus throughout his letter is that we must always interpret our experience by scripture and doctrine is there to motivate us to live lives of holiness to him. This means that both our doctrine and our theology are there to help us live out the Christian life practically. Matthew Henry said this, he said, those who teach by their doctrine must also teach by their life or else they pull down with one hand what they build up with other. I'm going to leave that up for a minute. Those who teach by their doctrine must teach by their life or else they will pull down with one hand what they build up with others. Church, is this you today? Does your life speak of what you believe? Is the way that you live in this community a reflection of the grace and peace the Lord has offered you? Or are you tearing down to those non-believers what the Lord has tried to build up in you? This is an incredibly difficult challenge for us to wrestle with. And we're not talking about perfection. What we're talking about is the road that we walk towards Christ Jesus. And it should be a little bit of an upward slope. Right? And as we progress, as we become more like Jesus, we reflect more of his likeness in this world. So that's what this whole series is going to focus on. And I want us to ask ourselves the question, how do we make sure that our theology, that the, the doctrines that we hold to align with God's truth? Man, this is an essential question. Because there's a lot of untruth out there. And as we dive deeper into this book, we're going to deal with this on a, on a little more uh, deeper level. But I want to leave you with two things to consider with this question in mind. How do we make sure our theology, our doctrine lines up with God's word? And I want you to reflect on these two thoughts. First, we must always begin with prayer. See, we, we study, we wrestle with theology, we read the scriptures, and then we think, all right, I figured it out. No. How do you know you haven't been deceived? How do you know you haven't been led astray by false teachers? Before you study God's word, before you open its pages, we must remember to pray and ask God to give us wisdom. That's the whole point of the book of James, the beginning of James when he tells us. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. God will always give it to you. He's not talking about wisdom just in life. He's saying wisdom to understand why, why there's difficulties and what God's word says about them. When you're in a situation in your life that you don't understand and you run to God's word for the answer and you don't find it, my question is, did you ask God for wisdom? Because that's the first place he tells us to go. 
to pray and ask him to reveal to you the truth. Go to God in prayer for the keys to unlock the mysteries of his word. It's not the laboring but the praying soul that is given the treasure of understanding scripture. Secondly, after prayer, when we study God's word, when we, we dive deep and we come across one of those passages where we think, oh, this, the Lord's speaking to me. We should ask ourselves if God's truth has made its way from here to here. That, that if what we've read, we've had the courage to put into practice. Because a lot of times we read it and we say, well, that's, that's a good idea. It's a nice platitude. I might try that one day. And you're missing it. Pray and then ask the Lord, help me to put this into practice that I might live it and be more like Jesus because of it. Amen? So that's our intro to the book of Titus. Let's pray. And then we will jump into a time of communion together. Lord, we praise you for your precious word. And Lord, as we wrestle with this idea of doctrine and devotion, of, of right thinking and right living, Lord, I pray that you would give each one of us a fire and a passion to study, to dive deep into your word on our own. Not to be dependent upon the teachers that are out there, but to say, Lord, teach me by your Holy Spirit. Show me the way you would have me go. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us to not just be hearers, but doers. We thank you for the precious gift of your word. What a treasure. Lord, forgive us for when we forget what we hold in our hands and the beauty that is there. You're speaking to us. And all we have to do is open up the pages of your word and hear your voice. So help us, Lord, we pray. And we ask this all in Christ's precious name. Amen.